0: Attention, podcast listener RLG74. You're an Australian. You love the podcast. You wrote a really nice review of it. You may have won the Incomparables contest. Yes, it's true. RLG74. Were you born in 1974? Were there already 73 other RLGs? I don't know. So please contact us or we're gonna give your prize to somebody else. So please contact us when you can, RLG74. The
1: Incomparable. Number 154, August 2013.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and tonight we're going to talk about uh, a really great comic. This is technically a comic book club episode, although Lisa and Jason, my usual comic book compatriots, aren't here. But I've got a great group of people who have read this comic. It's from Image Comics, it's by Brian Cavlon and Fiona Staples, and it's called Saga. Uh, We'll talk about it a little before firing off the spoiler horn. Um, What we're going to cover in this episode in total will be the first 12 issues of Saga, which is volume one and volume two of the trade paperback, so you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, We'll have links in the show notes. Uh, Really weird and good comic, and I'm looking forward to talking about it for the next hour with these three excellent guests. Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. It's, it's a pleasure to be on the Comic Book Club.
1: I'm an occasional comic reader. Yeah. First time Comic Book club Burr.
0: Yeah, it's exciting to have you on the Comic Book Club. I didn't know you read comic books. I, I read many comic books. Wow. Uh,
1: not as many as, not as, many not as, many really
0: as Tony familiar. Sindelar, who you heard skeptically uh, questioning Dan there. <laughs> that is true. Well, I
1: get most of my comics from Tony. And, to- so,
0: yeah. and, and Tony, you also are, are famous for your love of Batman. It's true. Who is not I- in Saga, I should say. This is not the Saga of the Batman.
1: <laughs> not
2: yet. Uh, i'm really happy to be here um you know saga is has been described to some people as a uh, star wars for perverts and you guys are two of the uh let's say biggest star wars fans I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you and merlin Mann is also back for his third time on the incomparable can you believe it hat trick i never thought would happen thanks for having me i'm glad i'm glad you could you could come so uh brian k vaughn uh You know, I first discovered his work with Why the Last Man, which is excellent. And then I also read his entire run on, uh, well, run, his entire encompassing story of Ex Machina, which which Lisa Schmeiser recommended to me and I actually liked a lot. Um, And he closed both of those books up, finished their stories. And his next big project uh, in the comics world, because he's also executive producing *Under the Dome*, the Stephen King summer TV show, and he's got screenplays and TV shows and all of that. But he worked on—didn't he work on *Lost*? Yeah, he did work on *Lost* for a while and wrote some good episodes of *Lost*. Uh, and now his new comic project is *Saga*, which has been out for a little more than a year, and it is. I don't. I don't even know where to start with this. How, how in the non-spoiler, spoiler light portion before we fire off the spoiler horn, you know how would how would we describe? I mean, Tony said it was a it was a Star Wars for perverts. I was going to say it's a it's a fairy tale, but um, not the nice, friendly kind of fairy t- tale. Especially given that the uh, first thing we hear a character say is <laughs> is is the f word as she's got her legs splayed and she's giving birth. So. Um it's well, maybe a, it's, a, it's
1: a more more historically accurate fairy tale, like yes. the original Grimm's fairy tales, right? It's got that dark aspect that's to exactly
0: it. what my wife said, and so uh my, so mm-hmm. I am inclined to agree with you, Dan, just as I'm inclined to always agree with what my wife says. yes, Dan, yes, honey,
1: You're, sure, <laughs> yeah, we're on enough saying. podcasts together. I think we're married in some yeah. states, I don't
0: know <laughs> the podcast marriage. you start with the podcast marriage, and where do you go from there to lion cats, I think. <laughs> so people who haven't read it aren't going to understand that yet. Um, Merlin, how would you how would you describe Saga if you were trying to describe it to somebody and tell them why they should uh, read it? Um,
3: I've heard a lot of people make the Star Wars comparison, and that never I um, I, I guess I kind of get that superficially, but uh, without spoiling it, I would just say it's um, it's uh, it's a love story uh, in a world of proxies. It's uh In some ways, it is very much like a Romeo and Juliet story about these two sides that are part of a, a huge uh, proxy war in this fantasy world. Uh, it is full of really. <laughs> I remember the first time you saw the cantina scene, and you were like, "Wow, that guy has a hammerhead!" Just about every couple three pages, there is some new. <laughs> there's like an alligator butler. It's full of fanciful creatures. It is totally delightful. And, you know, we will talk, I'm sure, in some detail about the, gosh, half dozen aspects that make this so, so, really unique. But I, I would say it is a really big fantasy story that improbably oscillates between, like, the deepest, like, I'm sobbing two or three times in some issues with some of the most graphic violence and extreme, <laughs> extreme, like, really graphic sexual content I've ever seen. Yep such that I can read a bunch of it to my daughter skipping two pages at a, at a time. But I really, really, really need to skip those two pages because it might be a crab lady with a vagina or her intestines hanging out. No spoilers, but I, I know I think, it's, I think it's a big story told in small details about a, a world where even love is, uh, is fought with proxies. It's, that's, that's the theme that comes through for me. And it doesn't even really begin to describe what makes it so special and human, uh, oddly enough. But yeah, Well, I mean, how would you guys
1: describe it? You know what came to mind when I was reading it was it's like it's it's a family drama in some ways right like and that's what I one of the things I really appreciate about is that it oscillates as you were saying between this like stuff that's just crazy like insane like I think they legitimately almost set out to top themselves right in every issue like okay you thought we couldn't get any weirder but like meet meet (laughs) Fard yeah exactly and so but these but the stuff that's important. To it is the 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 core of it is mundane and it's it's but it's beautiful in its mundanity right like it's about being a parent for the first time and about how you're going to raise your your child and about all these these concerns of just getting by and that that I think resonate very well with the kind of situations that a lot of people run into even if they don't run into giants you know with clubs and you know generals hanging out like you know like you do
0: yeah it's I I wouldn't call it Star Wars either I I love the fact that it is. I'd almost say it's a a a fairy tale style story or a fantasy story, you could say, but it's so much of our fantasy is is a, a tradition from fifty years ago or a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago. Um, there's a lot of medievalism in in a lot of fantasy, not all, but a lot of it. And what strikes me about this is this is fantasy for people who know all the sci-fi tropes, who know the Star Wars tropes, and so mm-hmm. I, th- I think the best example is the, the first off they get <laughs> they get a pirate map, I should say, <laughs> in the amazing first issue, and and again we're being light on the spoilers so far, but they a get p- a
3: pirate map they're ready to throw out because it looks so stupid,
0: <laughs> yeah, because it's a pirate map and it's got written on it rocket ship forest and i love that because it it's it's all of this fantasy shorthand but there it's the rocket ship forest so there there is all that sort of sci-fi stuff and these are alien-ish people somebody on one planet somebody on another planet they're on a different planet they there there's a species with sort of the ray guns and the species with magic but it it's able to play with uh all the sci-fi stuff too which is not to say that i would call it sci-fi but i would say that it's got all of those uh, paints, yeah, all all those colors in its palette that it can use too, on top of the pirate maps and the strange, you know, ghosts in the forest and things like that that they stumble on through these first twelve issues.
3: And, and I mean, I don't know, I, I've read so little of the fantasy genre, I would not be welcome in the Syracuse home for so many reasons. But but you know, and not to go on a too deep a dive, but like it has really big fantasy fantasy stuff, really big themes. It is it is very Shakespearean. In, in the way that it's approached in many ways. But then you've also got a guy whose phone locks up because it's trying to download an app. He, his, his spaceship <laughs> makes a boop-boop sound when he locks it. And, I mean, there's there's endless references everywhere to, like, yeah, like this mechanics place has a garage door. It's just that it's made out of dragon bone. Right, the, that that constant juxtaposition of the familiar uh, with the completely outlandish, like, is, is nonstop.
0: There are a couple of uh, phone calls that happen because everybody's got their cell phones, where they actually comment on, "I've got a really crappy signal here," and they're calling like across the galaxy, but they still have all of these all of these shorthand things from our modern world put in this crazy sci fi world.
2: There's apparently still still high school in Super Super Space, you know, <laughs> What you would call high school.
0: Well, one yes, one race has high school and the other does not. Yeah, what must that be like? Um, that's alien, man. I don't understand it.
3: Well, I, I, my problem is, I'm I'm when it comes to comics, I'm new to this, but I'm also extremely Chris Farley about it. Where I'm that guy who's just like, no, it's really good. You should read it. But just for one big picture part of it, I mean, I, I think it does help to just think a little bit about how how. When I say proxy war, there's a proxy war going on. It's been going on for years. I was, I was explaining this to my daughter today, yes. about how, you know this is a lot like what happens in the real world. where first of all, you've got two sides that have been fighting about something for so long that nobody knows why they're fighting. They don't know why it began. But in the case of something like um, you know, the troubles in, in Ireland or in South Africa, like it doesn't matter. Hatfields and McCoy's like, your people have been killed enough that it goes on forever. There's a giant planet. That is like – not the empire maybe, but the giant ruling planet, which is people with wings. And in this case, there's basically this small moon of what are essentially terrorists that are magic people with horns, right? I mean is that one way to frame it? And it's been then, But it's all being fought mainly by, by proxies at this point, right? Like you've got the robot people and all that stuff. But that's one way to think of it is like the, the, yeah. it's against the tapestry of this war that's been going on for a very long time that nobody has any stake in apart from the fact that they just have to keep fighting it.
0: Well, so I'll give the – let me see if I can give a a, a top-level summary here. So what Saga is about is about two soldiers in this war, one from uh, a a race that has pointed ears and wings but otherwise looks like people, (laughs) and one that looks like people but has horns, like ram horns, like curly ram horns. Or or antlers. (laughs) Or antlers, I guess you could say. Whatever, the little ram horns. Anyway, ram antlers. Fine. I apologize to the rams. (laughs) <laughs> the the, the Saint Louis. Well, but then ranch. there's the
3: one guy in interrogation. I think there's varieties like races. There's also the rhino guy. Yeah, there's a variety. Some rhino. of them are clearly
2: yeah.
1: antlers. So I oh yeah, because some can, of like some of them father. have
0: pointy deer antlers. Yeah, yeah. that's true.
3: Yeah. Well, no, and the wings are different too, right? Yeah. The guy that gets like... interrogated by Prince Robot looks more like a right. rhino.
0: Kind. So, they're, so they're wing people and they're like the horn people. And the horn people use magic, and the wing people use technology. It seems more or less. And star-crossed lovers you know we meet them having they're having a baby they're from these two different races we very rapidly discover that this is this is not just a little bit bad oh it happens sometimes it's really bad and both sides are trying to kill them and and take their baby because uh, this just can't be done. It would be bad for optics, for the president of the one group to ha- have this be knowledge that there- that any cohabitation, any interaction that isn't war could happen between these two races. So that it's set on the scale of this planet that is uh, beset by war where they were both fighting um, and they run away and they have a baby. And just after they have the baby, they're they're caught and they're they're. They have to escape and they're on the run and they're trying to get off this planet because both sides in this giant galaxy spanning war are trying to kill them and essentially that's the story and and the side stories are involve a bounty hunter who is hired to kill them and and take the baby back uh, uh a a prince who is also a robot except he's got the body of a man but the head of a television set who just lost his
3: leg fighting a hellish war for 2 years.
0: Right, but had it reattached or or right. had a new leg attached or whatever. Very strange. And he's sent also to go to go get them. So, uh it's so there are a bunch of different players in this crazy crazy uh story, but it's essentially about these two star-crossed lovers who are just trying to get away and they just had a baby. And they're being pursued by everybody else in the galaxy. And we should also say one of the really wonderful touches in this story is that it's narrated by the baby as an adult. And she's telling you the story. And this is where you get some of that fairy tale tone. She's telling you her life story from the beginning. But because it's her as an adult, you get those moments where she's alluding to things that are going to happen in the future just to give it some extra ominous tone. Uh, I, I, normally when you'd read something like that,
3: you'd see a box, in Marvel anyway, you'd see a rectangular box usually in the upper left-hand corner.
0: Yes, the nar- for the narration, right. Right,
3: in this case, there's like a girl's handwriting, just kind of, you know, I'm guessing the narrator feels like a young, a young adult, an older teen, but it's written in this kind of girl's, uh, you know, um, handwriting, uh, just kind of around the page, around the graphics, it, and it's, uh, like you say, there's a lot to it that's, it's a nice, it's almost, the reason I say Shakespeare is almost like a chorus. A lot of times mm-hmm. it's uh, something that contrasts heavily with what we're looking at and reading. Do you know what I mean? It kind of puts it in relief and and very much from the very beginning is dropping these hints about stuff that you don't, mm-hmm. you know, the one man who broke my heart, like, well, who's that? Like, I don't know who that is, you, you know? And, and but it, it, that's the framing device for all of this is that, and it opens the door to this t- being told slightly out of sequence at certain points.
2: Mm-hmm. I almost feel like the narration with the, just the text right over the some of the visuals kind of feels almost a little bit more like the style in some children's books, which is, of course, then weird with the very adult imagery it sometimes <laughs> paired with. Yeah.
0: What, kind of, what kind of children's books did you read? Jeez. <laughs> Acceptable losses.
3: Sob!
0: <laughs> well, no, but that's part of the combination that makes this story yes. interesting because this is a rated M for mature comic book. And yet, it has this very interesting mixture of tones. This is a story for adults, but it is a story told in the you know in the all the tools of something we think of as a as a mythical kind of story for kids. Mm-hmm. But this isn't for kids. It's a, mm-hmm. a, it's a fascinating combination. Merlin, I'm so glad that you mentioned the uh, the way the narration is written. I was going to mention that it's great, and um, I, I was especially noticing there's a, a bit where she points at. Uh, at, at a rocket ship while she's describing it in the narration. And at the end of the sentence, there's a little arrow drawn <laughs> and pointing at the rocket ship that it's being annotated. Almost uh, like it's a journal. Yeah. Fiona Staples, you know, just her artwork. And I believe she does the uh, handwriting. That's the, exa- I just
3: got a toot from my friend at Image. Jennifer de Guzman just said that uh, the narration in saga is actually Fiona Staples' yeah, handwriting.
0: It's yeah. amazing. And, and uh, so it looks great. And that is... That adds to the quality of it that the, it's handwritten on there. It doesn't feel like every other comic book with the box with the text in it, right? It's it's not on a, a straight line or anything. It's being written in a journal, basically.
2: I, I'm more of a story person than an art person with comics, but the, the art in Saga is just it's it's really impressive. Um, and I mean, I've been reading Brian K. Vaughan's stuff for a long time, and not to say the art in in his his other uh, titles was bad, but the art in the in the in Saga is particularly noteworthy. It's it's really impressive, and people should check that out. Yeah. They've not already flipped through it. Yeah. Probably want to buy it.
0: Yes.
3: It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I, when I just try to describe this, you know, uh, I'll be that guy about stuff like <laughs> stuff I've been on here talking about Totoro or, um, you know, The Wire or Arrested Development, all of these things. Like in the case of some of those things where you have to have a huge investment to, like, basically commit to this big thing. And I I've always feel like Saga has such a place in my heart, it, it, such a small amount of time that it's been out. And I, I want to describe it pe- to people in the way that's going to kind of most, you know, resonate with them and it's it's really difficult to pick out the one part of this that grabs you the most cuz you don't want to say like oh there's some family stuff in here that really hits close to home i mean whether you have kids or not especially if you have kids but if you don't have kids you definitely have grandparents and there's stuff about this that's going to like really grab you even though they're rams or
1: whatever do you, do you know what I mean yeah right, right it's not it's not important I mean it's the same way that you felt like you, we made the Star Wars comparison a couple of times, but it's the same way you felt like when you're like, "Wow, okay, maybe Yoda is just a puppet, but like you know there's an actual there's an actual emotion conveyed by that right Star Wars is not just about gunfights, right superficially it's about one thing, but at heart it's really about something else
3: i'm sorry i i i I could talk way too much about this because it's it's found such a place in my life today I had absolutely no problem reading all twelve issues again, yep. And yep. and I, I I I I there's so much to it. Uh, first of all, in some ways, I can't believe how little happened over 12 issues. In some ways, but at the same time, it's it's astonishing, like how many quotable lines. And t- I don't want to you know I don't overstate it, but like really. I'll just say, extremely memorable characters come up in the space of those few issues. I'm, I'm, I've got to be one of the in the top five percent of X Men fans of all time. But you could, you could, you could slog your way through, you know, uh, 150 Chris Claremont comics and not come up with quite this many like amazingly memorable lines and characters. Even if they're just there, like I say, the the alligator butler, just things that are in there for a couple. Fard, Fard isn't in there for more than what, like four pages, five pages. But nobody's ever going to forget the first time they see Fard, <laughs> you know. But it never, it never gets away. I like what you guys say though about like Yoda or whatever, or Kermit the Frog. You know, if if uh, if you know if Wayne Newton had sung the Rainbow Connection, it might have been very touching. But the fact that it's a little felt frog in a boat with a banjo, like, why does that make me want to sob? You know, there's something about this that
1: makes it even more human in some ways. Well, it, it touches something that it touches something that is innate, right? Like that isn't. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's hard to say. It's, it's and that that's it's that very intangible nature of it, where it's like anything where you watch a movie and it's not like okay, yeah, there's something that is that is textually sad about this because like what is happening is sad, but it makes right. you think. It's the it's the empathic response, right? Where it's like, oh my god, what if that was me in this situation? And like, you know, what if I, especially, you know, we think about stuff that you're talking about having kids, everybody's got parents too, right? Like think about your parents and it's like, oh my God, you know, here's an example of somebody losing a parent, right? Like everybody can relate to that to a certain extent. Like everybody can relate to the idea of losing a parent or a loved one. And I think that... You know that strikes home and makes us, and especially when it's done in a very genuine fashion, as opposed to in a very artificial fashion, which we see a lot of times in certain things. I think you know a lot of a lot of superhero comics are, are prone to do that. Like, let's kill off a person just to like get a visceral response, right? You know, and and it doesn't really have necessarily the same kind of thing, especially because in most comic books, you know, death is merely a temporary obstacle, <laughs> whereas you know this it, saga does not seem like that kind of world, right? You know, stuff is permanent, stuff happens, and it makes you know leave scar and, and makes marks on people
0: all right let's talk for a moment about our sponsor for this episode of the incomparable we have a sponsor for this episode uh, the we do we do <laughs> this amazing. is not i'm not That's it's great. not a practical joke no we don't Dan. no uh-huh.
1: i i just saying like we don't always have we don't, a sponsor we do
0: well who's our sponsor, our, our sponsor tell me tell it's me an about app us. it's called it's a, it's a comic app which is perfect for this episode Ooh. because we're talking about saga it's called chunky comic reader and it's an ipad app so I you know I don't know if you have do you have comics that are in uh, some some of these various formats your CBRs your CBZs yeah I might have a couple CBRs and
1: CBZs lying around my PDFs my three letter my TLAs yeah, my three I've letter got, acronyms yeah I've all got, those got some of those
0: here. I got a bunch of PDFs from Marvel I've got a bunch of CBRs that I downloaded from various corners of the internet of comics that I own that are out of print I mean I, I'm, let's I'm on the up and up here but you know the Micronauts are not in print anymore and if I want to read them on my iPad I Hard can't, I can't buy them anywhere so I have them downloaded I know it is hard to, well there's legal it's, I, I'm just
1: saying because I, I I think you you may be the only person. To have invested in them, I don't. I don't
0: ever. think that's true. There, there are many of us out there, Dan. But they're very small. I'm sure you're. Well, they are. They're the microdots. They're tiny. Yeah, you sure. just can't even Absolutely. see them. Anyway, so you take your CBRs, CBZs, PDFs. These are comic book formats, and you can read them in. They don't read in something like Comixology. You read them in an app like Chunky Comic Reader. So Chunky Comic Reader runs on the iPad. You can connect it to your Mac via or PC, I suppose, if you are that way. Uh, via USB and just drag the comic files over. Uh, You can also hook Chunky Comic Reader up to Dropbox, and you can load your files over from Dropbox. And there are other comic readers out there on the App Store, but the cool thing about Chunky Comic Reader is that it makes them look great. It makes the comics look great, and it's focused on making your comics look good and read uh, really easily which is the whole point that, that is important that's kind of the point right
1: of of a comic i, I mean you don't want to you don't want to read comics that look terrible no. that is for looking sure looking at them
0: is the whole point so This, obviously, it's only working with the DRM-free stuff, like we said, CBRs, CBZs, and PDFs. But what they've done is the developers have done a ton of work behind the scenes to make them look sharp and clear. There are a couple different modes. If you're on an iPad 2 or an iPad mini, I was looking at this earlier, there's a mode that does some really nice work so when it's zoomed out, it does this nice, sort of like downsampling to make it clear, even though you're, you're looking at a much larger image in a smaller space. If you're on a retina display and you zoom really into it, it does some work to make it not look blotchy. It makes it a lot clearer by upsampling it. So the the whole idea here mm-hmm. is that it's going to look good. Turning the pages is kind of fun. The flipping effect is is this like it's like a little almost like a blurry kind of like whoop and it slides and you get the next page. And it is I will say this the best library organization that I've seen from any iPad comic mm-hmm. reader. You drag your files in and you open the app. And it's figured it out. I don't know how it does it. I don't know how it knows. It automatically groups your comics by the individual comics that they're in. So you'll see like a particular series and a bunch of uh, covers, and you tap on one to read it. When you get to the end, it'll prompt you for the next one. It's really, really nice.
1: You might say that's its superpower.
0: It could be. I don't know how it gets it. It could be a mutant app. It's amazing Apple let this mutant app through the App Store. Did the Sentinels of the App Store not sense or the cerebro if you will if you want to go that way i don't know i'm, I'm mixing X-Men hey
1: well uh, all the better for us right yeah. i mean that's yeah. that's really what it comes that's down it. To. so
0: really chunky comic reader show your comics some love it's four bucks although for the rest of august it's going to be two bucks
1: i was gonna say i'm just looking at it right now it's like it's on Such sale. Such a Even deal better.
0: And it really does look good. I was opening up I opened up my Micronauts. I opened up a PDF I've got of the X-Men. I opened up a PDF of Swords of the Swashbucklers, which is a graphic novel that was available in PDF that's by uh, Bill Matlow and, and Butch Guys who did Micronauts, because it all comes back to the Micronauts with me, and, uh, and a I bunch know. of other stuff. So, so it's just a really nice iPad comic reader. So if you are a comic fan and you've got an iPad, you owe it to yourself to try Chunky Comic Reader. It's 4 bucks and it's 2 bucks right now by the uh, until the end of August. So point your browser at chunkyreader.com or just go to the App Store and search for Chunky Comic Reader. The comics look great. If you got a Retina iPad, it makes those look better. If you got an iPad Mini, it makes those look better. It's a no-brainer, Chunky Comic Reader. And thanks to Chunky Comic Reader for fortuitously sponsoring this very episode of The Incomparable. So before we go any further, I I think I'm going to use this opportunity to fire off the spoiler horn before you know, we spoil even more from these twelve issues. <laughs> but before we get too deep into it, I wanted to say something. Merlin talked about these twelve issues and hundred and fifty issues of Chris Claremont. You know, two trades, uh, twelve issues, and and some of these are these are actually longer than your your standard mm-hmm. comic. A- and what impressed me about it is is on one level on what level you could say well what happened in these 12 issues they were on one planet they got their spaceship uh they floated around and almost got sucked in a in a time suck and then they went to visit the favorite author of one of the main characters and you could say not a lot happened but the trade-off for not having it be like you know i think they told the entire plot of star wars in four issues in 1978 right <laughs> um sure what you get is the richness you've got multiple storylines and you've got all this detail and so although we don't we don't have you know you get the sense that the story may take a while in terms of issues what we get is so rich that 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 really impressed me that that um you know at one point i think we go an entire issue or an issue and a little bit where we've literally we haven't gone back to the will who is the the bounty hunter he's exactly where we left him like an issue and a half ago it's that decompressed a, a story and i'm not complaining about it i'm just i'm kind of i think that's why um they're able to provide the richness that this story does and have those characters is is they don't rush it that that uh they take the time to have character moments in, in ways that some some comics don't because they rush and just want to rip off as much plot as possible. And I don't want to say that things don't happen because, oh, my God, lots of things happen. That's, exa-
3: that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, you will see um, – yeah, it's fun. <laughs> like You may be able to describe the main plot points of the story in a paragraph without much problem, but that doesn't get you anywhere near what's actually happening. Uh, and, and just to be clear, it isn't like a bust a gut thing where somebody goes into a monologue for six pages. You know, uh, it's – it really <laughs> – There's no Bendis meetings in this one. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Black Panther? <laughs> um, no, no, absolutely. And but 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 you might be intercutting. Also, think about the relatively small number of locations. I mean, the Prince robot, you know, jumps around and, and so forth. But I mean, there aren't there aren't like it isn't like you're. You know, one of the things I love about Star Wars is as, as we're talking, talking about Star Wars is how, especially in the first movie, how elegant. The storytelling is about moving from location to location, and you get the wipe, and now we know that your little car is driving into this crazy city where the planes go. Oh, okay, now we're in a place, this is most Eisley, right? We understand that. There's a lot of, a lot of very great pacing of, of the scene changes. But every scene change, at least from the family's point of view, every scene change, every spaceship change, it all has a lot of portent to it. You know they don't just jump in like you know they don't like Steve McQueen they don't just jump into a different Mustang or something. Getting into this particular wooden spaceship ends up having a lot of significance to it, and and that allows them to let the story unwind in its own way. And something as simple as, I mean, <laughs> one, one quick side note, like there's nothing about the delightfulness of this that you can explain to anybody without it sounding incredibly stupid. <laughs> the father-in-law that you just met made you this really uh, sexy bulletproof outfit out of plants. What? Okay, all right. Uh, oh, no, no, let me tell you another one. Uh, okay, there's this guy who has an ex-girlfriend who's kind of a crab with lots of weapons, and he has a cat that can tell whether you're telling the truth. Okay. I mean, no matter, no, no matter what I try to... Yeah, none of the details matter,
2: right, for selling it to someone. <laughs> there's
3: this pink glowing teen oh. ghost yes. who has nothing... <laughs>
0: Is there a unicorn? Is there a
2: rainbow? <laughs> You like books with uh, with guys with horns in it, you like books with guys with wings, you're gonna love this one. It's got both my, op- my opening line to every
3: person I try to turn on to this comic and, and generally so my with there's you know, Hawkeye and Saga are the two comics where like I'm going to tell you once, but then I'm going to just buy you a copy. Dan, does that sound familiar? I, I read
2: both of those recently, thanks to thanks it's, to Yeah, Tony. basically, those are the two ones I'm recommending.
3: Well, no, I just – I did it today. I took my friend to a comic store and bought him the two trades of, of Hawkeye. I just, I'm going to buy you this comic, and I want you to at least read the first issue of it. But the thing I say to all of them is let me just be upfront about this. Um, nothing about this should work. <laughs> in describing this story to somebody, pitching this to somebody, like like Totoro, I guess, nothing about this should work. It sounds so, Even the best parts of
0: it sound so cliched. I, I'd go so far as to say this is the kind of work that could only come from somebody who had the, the background and the clout of Brian K. Vaughn, who had had these successful comics in the past, because otherwise I don't know how you would even sell this. And I don't know who would pick it up. But people picked it up because it was the new Brian K. Vaughan project, and somebody said yes because, well, you know, Brian K. Vaughan, will let him do it. And and I'm not sure somebody else would have been allowed to do it, which it doesn't change the fact that it's it's fantastic. It's just – it's so hard to describe, and it's such a weird sell.
2: Yeah, somebody else might have had a harder time, even if they produced it, getting it picked up, right, in, in terms of getting past five issues or six yeah. issues, right?
0: So we should let's – let's talk about the characters a little bit. Um, I think uh, rather than trying to walk through the plot, I, I think that the Merlin's got it right, that the characters here are so interesting. And since I fired the spoiler horn, I think we're free to talk about these, these characters. So we should start with our, uh, our protagonists, I guess. I really want to talk about the lion cat, but let's talk, <laughs> let's, let's start with our, our protagonists who are Marco and Ilana, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So Marco has, he's the one with the horns. Yeah. The Moony. He's a Moony. He's from the moon the moon of Wraith. And uh and and Ilana is the the soldier uh from uh the, the main planet whose landfall boo boo. So um so Marco Marco is he's got horns. We are, we established that. He he has vowed not to use his sword be, and, and be we learn that he is a conscientious objector who who who, uh, I'll tell you, rereading it was fascinating because not only did I pick up a lot of, uh, of, uh, subtle things that I no- I didn't notice before, but I picked up a lot of things that I said, oh, he's planning that there <laughs> to pay off later. Like, y- you'll think this isn't that important now, but in 13 issues, I'm gonna say, aha, do you remember when I said that her shirt was bulletproof? Well, <laughs> um, so Marco is a conscientious objector, he's not gonna use his sword anymore, uh, he's taken prisoner and uh and that's where he meets Alana. Yeah, he
3: surrendered on the field.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because he didn't want to fight anymore. And then of course, he does eventually use his sword and like kill an entire squadron of wingy people. He's, he's a little bit of a badass.
3: He goes he goes totally berserker.
0: <laughs> his wife has to shoot him to get him to stop killing people. And then he breaks his sword in order to get the uh the rocket ship. So so and then he's got a family. Um, you know, his his mom and dad show up in a wonderful wonderful sequence uh, That's the last thing i think i was expecting in the story was to have his mom and dad show up that's how i met my grandparents <laughs> <laughs> on the rocket ship they were shooting at me i was shooting at them anyway and he's got a he's got an ex-girlfriend and and their wedding rings are actually the ones that he was supposed to use with her but he gave it to alana instead um you know good good character interesting interesting guy i mean i, I so much of the uh so much of this is on the on the richness of the supporting cast that i think it's easy to to you know the, these guys are a little more straightforward in some ways because they're they're the they're who we expect to be our our protagonists right
3: I like that Brian cave on you just a little bit here um in, in terms of groundwork, I think it's worth mentioning that <laughs> marco he's a he's a vicious well trained killer yes. who the first time he sees battles says, You know what I'm done, I can't do this, but his family i, I you know I don't use that term terrorist he <laughs> he says I, they like to be called freedom fighters <laughs> but the, they're they're <clears throat> they are the um What's the word I'm looking for? The guerrillas, right? The the people on on, right. on the moon. Is it the resistance? Not Reith? Yeah. Uh, what's the moon called? No, um, the moon is Wreath. Wreath. Wreath, Wreath, Wreath. Wreath. Yeah. But the people Lamp. of Wreath are basically they're like what? They're like the Viet Cong. They're like the Contras. They're the ones who are trying to undermine uh, through guerrilla warfare this big planet. So just I think it's worth mentioning that his parents are hundred percent like died in. They're their hardcore. That this is what we do. This is what we do, uh, and you know, and and of course. Back on landfall, they've just got—they've got all the power, they've got all the money, they've—they've they've got the ability to hire all of these people to work for them. But it's a disproportionate war that's been fought, you know, for years. And you know, the thing is, at the end of the day, neither one of them has that much skin in the game until they realize the skin they have in the game is like for the, this relationship. That's when they get really passionate. Anyway, just I want to mention that his parents are badasses. <laughs>
1: You know, the, the, his dad obviously a little bit on the softer side than his mom. Who yes, like seriously. I mean, I loved. I, you know, it's such an interesting way to introduce them, as we were saying. And I, I, I really came to love his dad so quickly. Um, oh, totally. Only, only to Yeah. Oh, we fired oh, off no. the spoiler horn, right?
0: Yes, we did. Yes. <laughs> only,
1: only to have him taken away from us so quickly. That's the issue. Well, I cried twice. Is, yeah, so he,
0: I. He did. He did warn us and say that he didn't have long to live, and boy, was he right. <laughs> But he's great because he, he uses the spinning wheel and he makes the clothes and 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 he he sees what his son sees in Alana. And the, the mother is a little more wrapped up in the warrior <laughs> part of it. And the father uh he gets it in a in a way that I thought was pretty cool.
1: Well he reminded me of like, I don't know, like like my uncle or something, right? Like there's a certain amount of that that avuncular charm that he has. That is like, oh, he could never really be mad at anybody for that long, right? Um I don't know. It's just, it, yeah, the, he does a great job of drawing that that character in just a couple subtle strokes, like subtle brush strokes, and you start, you have an idea of who that character is, right?
3: Right. This is part of what I was trying to explain to my kid today, without going, you know, without ruining her for life worse than I have. Is you know, without you know, it's hard not to. I think it's a fascinating piece of of not just contemporary life of God of just of the human condition that we get entrenched in these uh, these kinds of ongoing wars where we've dehumanized the other side and you know when I say something like the troubles or South Africa or whatever what what you might remember it, you know you, you know it started because somebody has a different opinion about whether this blood is or this uh, piece of bread is Jesus but what it really means is like my brother lost his leg because of the orange. Uh, marchers or whatever. Like, what you really remember is, like, this Hatfield got killed because of that McCoy, and that's why we fight back, and so on and so forth. What I got on this rereading, and I like what you said, uh, Jason, about that, because as much as I've devoured these, going back, I picked up a lot. The one that I got this time, reading it straight through, was that horrible word, miscegenation. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really got this time is, is how much... You know, and I, you know, I'd love to come back to proxies at some point. But everybody's always hiring someone else to do something, whether it's jack their mean bone or kill their their enemy or capture someone's baby. Everybody wants this baby, and they want these people captured because it's almost like somebody's screwing a monkey. Like these people are so nobody can even believe that, like. The, the times that these freak combinations of horns and wings have happened, the baby hasn't lived because it's such a horrible, like, abomination of nature. You see this baby. My daughter sees this baby. She, I, I have to take the comic away from her because she's looking for pages with the baby on it. It has horns and wings, and it's completely <laughs> adorable. Do you, yes. But do you know what I mean? It's the, the, the way that uh, either side in this battle sees the other side, first of all, as a complete monster. But the only thing worse than that monster is somebody on your side who would have a baby with that monster. And it just makes both sides so mad. And there might be more to this that we get to down, down the stream. But like, I think at the beginning it helps to understand that everybody's after these guys. They're like the Duke boys, right? Everybody's (laughs) after them. (laughs) But part of it is they're so, they, they hate that this has happened, but they're also angry that, that, that they would so not only betray their side, but then they would make this abomination of a baby. It's the one thing everybody agrees on outside of this family
1: is that this baby should have never, ever happened. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, there is something very much in that, in this whole idea of the other, right. Of of vilifying the other, just because that's, that's unfamiliar and alien. And I, I think, you know, in this comic, to those of us reading it, everything's kind of alien, right? So, you know, I think there's not a lot of allegiance you come in, like, one way or the other, right? Like, oh, those guys have wings, those guys have horns. Well, that's all kind of weird, so I guess I won't really, you know, think too hard about that. But
2: but even then, they take, you know, there's kind of these faceless forces on either side, but they then make the kind of the the operatives for each team you know become these characters that they're going to explore so you know we're we're going to find out about the freelancer who's been employed by by the wings and we're going to find out about the uh you know the robot, robot prince, right? You know, it's not. They're they're not. Well, I was going to say faceless. Poor choice of words for the robot prince, but um, you know, the, he's got a kind of face, goes... but it's a CRT monitor. <laughs> yeah, a little two face. <laughs> you know, they're gonna they're they're gonna be characters that we're gonna learn about too. Oh, who, you know.
0: So Ilana. Of strange happenings. One of the thing interesting things about Alana, as I as I sort of vaguely push through various characters, is is um is that she she's an interesting character because she's an outsider. That we, there's a scene mm-hmm. where she is like in the guard room or something and and the squid who's in the in the plastic bowl <laughs> says to her her other guard partner boy she's you know basically she's miserable to be around cuz she she's excited about this book that that is you know this sub- turns out to be this sort of really I- incredibly boring yet subversive in its boringness book which is a very funny recurring bit um and you know and then she you know she actually beats the crap out of marco because he won't shut up but but she that was their meat cute but they they fall in love and she shoots his chain off and says go not a euphemism uh and she says go go you know get out of here escape and they end up escaping together
1: i gotta talk about the book for a second though because i mean you you touched upon it but (laughs) i think i think i love the i love that and it's it goes back to what we were talking about before about those elements of mendanity like that's what the book is right it's the mundane. It's literally like, do you want to order a pizza tonight? The author thinks it's a potboiler. Like, yeah, even right. he thinks it sucks. <laughs> he wrote as it, like, oh, I wrote like thirty books. Like, who cares? I was just trying to get a paycheck. But it's it's like you can understand from her perspective why it's so powerful and why it's mm-hmm. so important in a in a world where everything the mundane is like violence and war right like that's the everyday is we're stuck in this war and have been stuck in this war for so long that we don't remember so what's comforting is this idea like let's just hang out and watch tv you know i mean i and it's almost like glimpsing into all of our back into all of our own lives which is a little weird because it gets kind of self-reflective there like oh i guess my life is sitting around reading comic books about aliens and trying to get away and therefore the people who are the aliens in the comic books are reading life about getting away into my reality. Yes, it's
0: a rock monster who enjoys sitting on the couch and watching TV. Ordering takeout, you know. Also, did you
3: guys? I mean, I didn't. I didn't get this as much until this second reread. But I, I also, well, I'm here to see if you guys agree with this. But I, I got that seriously. Alana was not a great soldier. Oh no, <laughs> I like the standard. fact that she wasn't. Nobody no. liked her, but also she wasn't particularly distinguished in any way. I like the idea that she wasn't like, oh, she was like, she's like the uh, Maria Hill. Of 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 this operation, they
0: they they say where she was. They say that she was parked on this world, and and somebody actually says, seriously, they still send people there.
1: I thought that was an urban
0: myth. (laughs) (laughs) That's like that was a joke, right? That you can't be that bad.
1: And she's a private, right? Like she's she's literally like the lowest rank. She's given the guard duty on this terrible world. She's not even really that good at that because she sits around reading her books all the time. I mean. Yeah, there's there's very interesting cause she is paired up, of course, then with Marco, who is like a total badass. So it is a very bizarre uh it's a little bit of an odd couple going on.
0: Yeah. Okay, can we talk about the Will? Oh, uh, the Will. So the Will is the uh is the freelancer, freelancer. bounty hunter. The
3: first the first freelancer.
0: Yeah, he, he uh he he is an interesting cat he cat. He also has a cat, the lion cat, who is his sidekick and does nothing except growl. And say lying when somebody lies, which is inconvenient, even for the will sometimes. And uh, somebody says, "Why haven't you killed that cat?" And he says, "Believe me, I've tried." And you'll notice the lion <laughs> cat doesn't say lying at that. Myrn. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that what I mean? Like, there's so many, so many. You know, you see all these these ridiculous plot devices that people throw into things, thinking they're being clever. And I, I've never had seen a plot device that I love more than lion cat. And it comes up at the most. I mean, it's at the exactly perfect times. So I just posted a, a, a picture of this earlier, the one where the phone rings, and it's an incoming call from the stalk. And, uh, and 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 w- the Will is like, oh, I'm not taking a call from that B word again. <laughs> and
1: the cat goes,
0: lying, lying. <laughs>
1: and then the Will just stares at her. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's something fascinating about that, too, because then you get this whole like philosophical thing like, well... Was he lying? Does he pick it up because the cat said he was lying? Or, yeah, no. But he relies on her. He also relies on her to say, no. he looks to her. Is like, is that person telling the truth? He's, he's a key, like, the, the cat is a key partner in this in this arrangement. And so much so that when the cat's life is in jeopardy, which was the other point where I was like. Oh, my God. When know, the cat
0: gets blown out into space? Well,
1: yeah, because it's like, okay, this is, a, this is a character that it literally has, like, one line. And yet, <laughs> they do such a good job of being like, oh, my God, no, don't kill the lying cat. No, no, don't kill the
0: lying cat.
1: And, you know, there is a moment of feeling like you're watching the will being like, no, okay, no, I'm not going to let the cat die, right? Like, and there's something, there is something very effective in that, which is strange that you should feel that much empathy for a character that is a cat with one line,
0: but it works. Oh, yeah, it works. And that's, a, that's across an issue break. So there's a, and it's really oh. well set up where I think where, that's
1: also the one
3: where grandpa
0: died. There's a, there's a panel, there's a set of panels. Yeah, it is. Uh, where they uh Ugh, terrible, where terrible. where they show the 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 damage that's being done to the spaceships but I say accept,
3: and, when they say acceptable losses and then and, and then, then na- you flip the page yeah, the it's narrator like, oh. says
0: that, and then you flip the page to see the lion cat drifting in space and we, and then it's not until the next issue where the will basically jumps out into space to get the lion cat and bring it back. So you you also have the whole month where you don't know if the Lion Cat is going to make it. We keep we keep
3: derailing you. So the, so the Will is a freelancer. Sorry, yes. we keep derailing you.
0: No, no, we're talking about the Will. The Will is interesting too because he gets this job and he, obviously he's got this ex-girlfriend or sometime girlfriend who is this complete badass um uh freelancer her own self who's like a crab naked crab <laughs> lady uh and and then she is killed by Prince Robot. It's for about the 4th. We call it the 4th. Which we'll get to. Uh, And so that's upset him. And then he also has this whole diversion where he's on this – he decides to take the the credit card that's been given to him as an advance for going and finding uh, his targets, finding our friends. uh, And he decides to go to the sex planet with it to just have a good time, except he doesn't have a good time. uh, And he finds a young girl who's been sold into sex slavery and decides he's going to free her. So there's this whole – diversion with him that is fascinating in some ways because you've got this example of how he is and, and like he kills people to get He's a murderer out he 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 right. he pops the head of the guy who leads him to the the underage girl let's just say he didn't go
3: there to free a slave girl he went there and was approached by the the creepy groomer guy because he wanted like something extremely dangerous beyond like spanking men in a window like he he wanted something really serious he's not a nice guy
0: yeah he's not a nice guy and yet he has these he has these moments like trying to trying to free the slave girl so he's a fascinating character because he's not and he's completely he's also the most
2: and he's the most visually human looking character
0: yes yes right he's basically a bald uh human
2: yeah yeah you're Dude. right with a with a cloak that blocks bullets
0: yes and fire too it also yes. blocks fire No, and he's he's and a, a
2: fancy space lance yes
0: he's a he's a he's a <laughs> badass but he is um yeah he, he he's interesting in that he's awful and yet also uh redeemable in
1: the yeah in the words of one of our earlier podcasts he has a code Yes. Yeah. Right. There's
2: a, there's a little bit of Boba Fett in there, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Man's got, a man's got yeah. to have a code. Boba Fett without a hat. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. But of course, he, he, that makes us like him just enough to be concerned about the fact that his goal in life is very specifically to find our friends and kill them. And that's his job. And that's what he wants his money for. And then he's joined by Marco's ex-girlfriend who has motivation to have him killed. And she also wants her wedding rings back. Her translation, but but again,
3: the, again the proxies though. I, I, yes, to me this is so prevalent because they have an agent. The Stalk and the don't the Stalk and the Will share an agent. Yeah, they do. They have the an same, agent. Yeah. There's, right. They have this guy who's like this Robert Evans character who like sits on uh-huh. the beach. The seahorse, the seahorse on the beach. <laughs> he's like, he's like, exactly. He's a seahorse on line one. And, he's, <laughs> <a seahorse? Yeah. laughs> he's like, I gotta take and this.
0: I got an incoming call here. I gotta he take is, this. He is. he
3: is exactly like that. Yeah, the I mean, will. It's, the
0: it's, will. I, I hear you, buddy. I hear you. But you gotta do this for me. Uh, the, <laughs> There's characters
3: like him and like the, the one guy who's like the well, the shield guy. I forget his name. The guy with the the guy with the uh, with the cell phone. There's these characters that are yeah. instantly recognizable. I mean, I could see. I forget. The, I'm sorry. I forget the guy's name. The guy from the guy that's working for the king, you know, he's from
2: uh, yeah, special ops, special ops with that wings.
3: I could totally see like Sam Rockwell playing that guy, (laughs) he's a very Sam Rockwell in um, you know, Iron Man 2 kind of like like greasy (laughs) character. It reminds
1: me of Ellis from Die Hard. Oh, yeah, Will Bubby,
0: yeah. (laughs) So who else we have? Well, let's talk about the robots because this is fa- this is one of the things that I think is bizarre and fascinating about this is we have There's so many questions so the, about the, the, the royal family <laughs> of robots. Uh, it, as far as we can tell, they are. It looks like they're kind of the client of. They're, they're of, the primary people
3: that have been hired by Landfall to fight this war at scale. R- I right.
0: Think. Right. So they're they're. It's unclear to me whether they are sort of under. They're like a a a colony of landfall uh,
2: they talk because there's there's a little bit where they talk about it and it's like they have like you know they have like a an arrangement but they're not and it's like they say like are they our customers or are they an yeah line I, i'm
0: skeptical know. about what the power relationship is between landfall and the robot royal family the
2: robots seem to be important they, right? they
0: do they seem to be very important and yet they do have uh, uh people with wings giving them harsh orders so it's mm-hmm. kind of unclear about whether they are are truly sort of employees or whether they may be Uh, a little more uh, sinister or devious than that.
3: I mean, I think we can understand that it's not something they can slough off. I mean, it seems to me that uh, Prince Robot 4 is uh, the son of the king, and he's just fought in what I would perceive to be, for two years, he's been fighting their version of, like, the Battle of the Bulge. He's been in this incredibly hellish war. And again, completely unsympathetic character that you end up feeling sympathy for. He's had this horrible experience. He's trying to have a baby. He apparently can't get a boner. He's confused about what he... he, uh, what's gonna happen in his life. He's a totally like hateable character and yet very human, even though he has a TV for head. You should describe what they
0: look like. Yeah, so the robot people, they they when we first see them, they're dressed up and they've got a TV for a head. It is literally a big bulbous TV set and then the men have rabbit ears. <laughs> and the women apparently don't, but the Prince Robot the Fourth <laughs> has rabbit has rabbit ears. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. Uh, on the back of his head. Um and yet, then, not too long thereafter, of course, as Merlin uh, alluded <laughs> to, we see Prince Robot and his and his princess having sex. And <laughs> I skipped uh, that page with my daughter. <laughs> yeah, I think that was wise. <laughs> really, I don't. I don't understand. And I mean. and um, in an unconventional, slight, slightly unconventional position. Uh, all the better to, to. Anyway, they're naked and they're human-like. Except for the head, they're humanoid. And you actually, it's not even like you don't get the sense that they're cyborgs because the skin is like the neck skin; it's all smooth up into the TV set.
2: They almost kind of look. They look kind of like you know classical Greek statues with TV heads. It's bizarre because they have that kind of like gray stony look. So they're they're called
0: it's Prince Robot, but he's not really a robot, at least so far as we can see, because he appears to be completely sort of fleshy, other than the he can turn his
2: arm into a Gun.
0: He can turn his arm into a gun. So cool. So it's who, and yet he can't? also, you know, Merlin is right. There's a there's a great moment while he's having sex with his lady where uh he uh something shows up on the TV set and he's unable to perform. So there's this. It's this weird biological and technological. He's got, he's got TV
3: PTSD. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's crazy. So so I I mean, and you're you're right. He's a fascinating character because he is he's introduced as really being a monster. And, and and yet you start to realize that um essentially his his pregnant wife is being basically held hostage by the rulers of landfall.
2: Even monsters have jobs, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> and
0: he's being sent to go kill our friends, but uh, you know, he doesn't want to do it because he not because he it's wrong, but because he really would like a vacation. And and everybody has a boss. And he's spoiled, obviously you get the sense because he's the prince, he's the son of the king and all of that. It's just so bizarre. One of the most bizarre characters. But it's I- Dan,
3: It's like it's. It's a horrible combination because obviously his father has sold him out. He's he's been. If we if I understand this correctly, he's been in this two year war that everybody. And this is, it sounds like this is one of those. If I'm reading this right, this is one of those wars where heavy. Casualties were felt on both sides. I'm I'm going through this kind of World War II jag right now, but (laughs) it sounds like one of those wars where like there was a lot of atrocities on both sides. A lot of people lost their friends. A lot of people did a lot of stuff that they're not happy with. And this guy went through that. And the thing is, he's royalty. You know, he is. He's the uh, whatever your highness, not your majesty, whatever. Anyway, he's he's he. But he's been there for two years. He comes home. His wife desperate. His wife, who is a serious partisan, she's very much in the camp. Whereas this guy's mostly, you know, he's a soldier, but he's got a job to do, and and right at the moment when he's ready to like get through his TV PTSD and have a have a baby, you know, why, why why him? Like, but he's compelled to go back out into that, and so he has a lot of skin in the game, robot skin in the game, to like end that as quickly as possible, so he can get back to you know having this family.
0: Uh, for a second, there, Merlin, I thought you were going to say that his wife is a serious hottie, and I was going to say, "Man, that console Woo. deeper. She wants it
1: deeper, baby." <laughs> don't don't ask about her resolution, though, okay? Because no. that's not cool. Um, it's BGA, <laughs> Am I so. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking, in particular, that the flashback that we get from him in the in issue twelve, yeah. where we see you know basically him getting wounded on the battlefield, and which I think was another one of those excellently moving scenes, where basically you know. The medic comes over and the adorable mouse medic, yeah, oh, the adorable mouse medic. Oh man, and He's you're like, so oh, cute oh great,
0: too. it's mouse guard. Uh, oh no, right. well, the He's look exploded. On, the look at his face when he says, "They didn't give me one. He didn't get a mask." <laughs> oh my god! Well, and you see the,
1: you know, the the prince is actually concerned, right? Yes. like the, the yeah. prince is like, get your get your mask. Come on, like you just saved my life. You know, don't you can't die here, and then it just explodes, and it's just well. He tries it's to brutal. he tries to
0: console him too. He he goes he goes oh I didn't they didn't give me a mask. He goes oh well, it's all right. I'm sure it'll be fine, and then he explodes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's trying, right? He's trying to.
1: But like you know, and to Merlin's point about the PTSD, like you know he sees this happen right in front of him, right? Like so there's and you know despite being a quote unquote robot, like. Clearly, that affects him in some way. We see that he's thinking about it; it's on his mind. He's also thinking about something else in a rather famous panel
3: that caused <laughs> Image to withdraw <laughs> yes. this. And I, I don't want—I don't want to, you know, pop the clutch here. But at some point, I want to talk about what causes what to appear on the screens because I have still not figured it out.
2: I—I'm yeah, a little unclear. How much of it, it – does he have control of it? Jason, do you want to talk about the screens?
3: Do you want to talk about what appears on the robot face screen? Well,
0: there's – there's, we could say there's gay sex on the screens.
3: Sometimes it's something like where it just – like he gets well, – the this out.
0: The famous one is there's, there's – it, it looks sort of like gay porn basically on the screen – Dur- and that's the one where the the uh, where, where Comicsology didn't submit it to Apple or something like that, and there was a minor. Well, but there's there's weird stuff but, before. But, like, but yes, he has a screaming face. The screaming. face. He has one, soldier, at, at one he has what yeah. looks
3: like a dollar sign, like an is. No, I, feel I, I think yeah, that's like that's the incoming call from. Uh, yeah, I think
1: that's like, oh, yeah, like, that's his caller ID. ID.
2: Well, because it's from their.
1: Uh, it's the, the imperial the, security it, or something yeah, okay. like that. And
0: is he is he um is he four by three? I guess he is. <laughs> Sir, if you're 16 by 9, he'd look it's like it's Hammerhead. Impol-
1: it's
3: impolite to ask. I guess I guess my basic question is, <laughs> is that something he felt and showed involuntarily? Is it something – you know what I mean? Is it something that he yeah. meant to show or not? Because I get the feeling he doesn't control
2: it. No, I think
1: it's involuntary.
2: I guess I wasn't sure because like in the last couple of pages where he's interrogating the author and at one point like his screen goes all swirly and I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be like him reacting or him trying to intimidate the – there, there's some right. part
1: that I think it's involuntary and I'm starting to wonder if, you know, sort of that, that flashback is the key scene where like he's getting shot, right? And they say yeah. like, oh, he's frizzed, you know? And it's like, is that is there something that happened there that has caused him to lose control to a certain extent of right. like his impulses, right? You know, that he's, which is, you know, again, kind of like there's an analogy to the, to the scene combat and like, you know, shell shock, that kind of thing. Where it's like, all right, he just, he can't quite control his impulses mm-hmm. in the way that he used to.
2: Did you notice in that scene he bleeds blue blood? Yes. Is, he is
1: literally literally a blue blood because they call
2: them <laughs> the because blue blood yeah. i just i love in the like in the first couple of pages when they're in like the mechanic shop and they refer to a grease monkey and you're like oh like a mechanic and it's like no it's literally a monkey
3: right oh. we'll be okay as long as they don't have a blue blood and then there's a blue yeah. blood
0: <laughs> so can you believe that we've yeah. just spent the last 5 minutes talking about uh what the meaning is of the images that flash on the screen of the robots who have fleshy bodies but TVs for their heads in a comic book
3: I can't, I can't believe I'm sitting here in my underwear on a Wednesday night talking about comics. The whole thing is completely perplexing to me. Yeah. <laughs> so you got the stalk, you got the will, you got the robots. Or, or we got to talk about Isabel at some point.
0: Yes. Isabel, I was going to say, it, yeah. we, that, that leads us to our, our next major character, Isabel, who is, a, who is a ghost with her intestines dangling out of her bottom side as she kind of floats because she was blown up by a landmine.
2: The best babysitter you can find in a haunted forest.
0: Yeah, that actually is one of the my favorite turns in the story oh is God. where they they meet our our friends meet the stock who is this horrifying spider crab lady, naked spider crab lady,
3: and and they're following they're following the goofball pirate map that
0: yes to the, to the spaceship forest yeah exactly and yeah. she shows up and she's like I'm gonna kill you all now and she shoots Marco and she's gonna she'd shoot uh, Alana right there except that she's got to take the baby alive. And then the you know you, you, you they, ooh, the horrors the ghostly sounds come from the forest and they freak the stock out and she's like oh geez those are the horrors you you know if, if you if you're thinking correctly you'll kill your own baby yourself but I gotta go goodbye
3: can I can I read read one line from the stock sure I once saw a pack of them rip a man's spine out through his urethra that's not an exaggeration <laughs> I saw that
0: <laughs> so says the spider lady so the spider lady <laughs> runs away this horrifying spider lady runs away and. What we see then is this group of ghosts who like to freak people out with like fake images of horrible things. But Isabel is just a teenager who died and, uh, you know, she's got an attitude and things like that. But these the horrors turn out to not be horrors at all. And I thought that was a really great turn that they're ghosts. Yes. And they show people horrible things, but they're okay. And yet the the um, the crab lady ran away.
3: But, I mean, it's also great because they're mutilated children who have become ghosts, A, but also, like, B, like, Isabel doesn't know whose mind did it. Like, it's it's just such a mess. But the kids who die on this planet turn into ghosts. But here's the other great thing is Isabel, for her entire life as a dead person, has been more than happy to scare the living crap out of people. It's just that now, because of the wonderful storytelling, she has a reason. She needs these people. Do you know what I mean I, I think she would have scared him like anybody else except that she she sees an opportunity here because of what or she needs and that's why this is right. a great story because she
0: can connect to hazel the baby and, and get, get off, the, off the planet yeah and be and she also she you know she's a teenage girl so she's a good babysitter she needs a little
1: little babysitting money yeah little little <laughs> pocket change and she and she can she can make giant scary gorillas too so yeah <laughs> she can get some new shoes oh 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 pardon me if I don't take relationship advice.
3: From a teenage girl with no vagina. Wasn't it? <laughs> so many great lines. Yeah, yeah, Isabel. Who, so, so Isabel has to be able. So the idea is the only way she can get off of this planet is by bonding with Hazel. She has to connect her soul. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: And they ask if it'll hurt, and she says it won't hurt when we connect. It'll hurt when we disconnect.
1: Which we all. Yeah assume someday billion. in the future, but mm, yes, <laughs> you know, as a babysitter, you know, of course you would choose a ghost that has no legs. Um, sure. That seems perfectly logical to me. Her intestines, her
3: intestines, let's be clear. Her intestines are literally hanging out from her hipster t-shirt. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, let's, what else are you going to do with a hipster t-shirt? Really? <laughs> um, I, yeah. I, I. It's such a fast, faci- again, w- one in those long lines of like every, every issue where you read something, you're like, nah, this can't get weirder. And then it's like, what about ghosts? <laughs> You know, it's like okay
0: all right you beat me you got
1: weirder
3: and she knows more about kids than Alana does.
0: but the the moment when she takes them to the the uh uh the forest oh, the the spaceship forest and reveals the uh the spaceship tree thing that that was that moment of like that 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 was really a great moment that that this is well and she
1: gets the the part where she gets banished by marco's oh, yeah, mother to a to nearby the, asteroid which is yeah, not an asteroid
0: and, but an egg Oh, my god this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> with with a giant with his parts visible Oh
3: fard fard. What's that line you don't you what's it you don't fly a rocket ship you ride it. I can't <laughs> believe that's not already that that's such a great that's such a great line. But I mean but you know it's again the I mean not to be all you know whatever brainy but like it's the economy of the storytelling like in all of this madness and all of these genitals and all of these robots like there's still every every bit of this is essential like every one mm-hmm. of these relationships is important to propelling the story forward but it doesn't feel like a story you right. know what I mean I just
1: I was flipping forward and I just got to the you know the scene where uh you know his Marco's father dies and and Hazel from the future you know talking back to us says I still have A scrap of the outfit he made for me i use it as a bookmark which is like again you know sort of playing with the whole like is this a journal like this is sort of a recounting you know Mm -hmm. and that's that's the end of a chapter too right so it kind of it kind of works very very cleverly as a like it's holding my place right here um and i think yeah again all of those little things that just yeah they they do such a good job of just like turning the like you know like your interest, like peeking you just a little bit and like, oh, yeah, OK, I understand that.
2: I mean, even with the way it starts, right, it doesn't start with Marco and a lot of meeting and like, you know, and escaping and running away. It starts with the birth of the child. And then we're going to find out about that other stuff later in, via flashback. Right. It hits right. the ground running and just keeps keeps going.
1: Yeah, I also want to say the um, the other interesting thing we were talking about stuff that differentiates and like you know okay you, you is not it interesting that we can do all this sort of you know violent stuff but also really touching stuff and all these little little you know the handwriting and these little details. I thought that the uh, the use of language, both with a capital L and with a lowercase L, um, <laughs> right. was interesting as a differentiation for. So you know we have this idea that these these two cultures, despite being very close. Prox, you know, like there's a moon and there's the main planet. They're separated, of course, by a language. Um, and most of the text that we get is in uh, what is, I think, capital L language. Yes, right. It's like there's like a language. Yeah. You know? What they speak on landfall, which which the the the, the people from Wreath do not. They speak a language blue, right, is their native language, which is written in blue text.
0: Right, and when Marco speaks language, the soldiers are aghast, and they say they should cut his tongue out. It's like
3: Planet of the Apes. I mean, it's like people are just like, what is this monster is speaking? Like, what is what kind of magic is he using?
1: Right. And, and the fascinating part for me is the, the bravery of doing panels that are entirely in this language, right? Which are not in blue, which are not translated. And you basically have to get from context, which is, fa- is the flashbacks, especially. Makes
0: Merlin, makes Merlin cry in the episode where Marco's dad dies. and we Don't see
3: get the- me started on the grasshopper. I'm literally begging you.
0: And, uh, <laughs> also, it's just close enough to Spanish. That, that it is
1: apparently Esperanto or based on Esperanto. Oh. I looked this up because I was very curious to know.
3: Huh. I did not know um, that. I
1: was fascinated to know that because then it sent me down a rabbit hole of reading Wikipedia.
3: Yeah, yeah, Blue made me cry with the grasshopper. I'm not going to lie to you, and because you know, and that, also in that issue, I was not expecting that. There's, I, there was the whole scene
1: with like what happens to. Don't you remember when your dad taught you to ride a grasshopper for the first time? I mean, like,
3: very... I remember he did an <laughs> Esperanto, and I said, "Dad, I, I language <laughs> language." <laughs> But it's very effective and also like oh my gosh how much do you love it when the uh, <laughs> I love that part the part when the uh, when the when the magic people come blasting into the garage the first time you see the blue language and you get like oh man this is the, this is the rules are different in this universe and the magic people come in and the spells and it's just
2: and some of the magic they don't really explain how it works but it's nice when they do get a little into it and it's like the magic is more than just technology that we don't understand yeah the secrets that, the that secrets, some of the spells yeah. need a secret that has never been spoken aloud. Where did we
3: last, really, Jason? You're on Isabel. Is that where we left off?
0: Yeah. Who's left? Who Who else do you want to talk about? Uh, did we Did we cover Gwendolyn? Gwendolyn. We don't see her a lot. True. She's she's the reason weak. that
3: people can understand what Marco is saying is because he has a pair of magical enchanted rings that I guess is like the babblefish, right? Yep. It's right. Kind, kind of. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah with with babblefish with with a GPS in it.
3: Oh, right. So it's like Android thing. Yeah. But uh, but what what we learn later and that Alana is very unhappy to discover is that those belong to someone
1: else. Right. Which is another great one of those melding of like, oh, they're magical rings that can translate things. Wait, you took these from your last fiance? Like there's that jarring like transition back into the something that everyone can understand. Yeah. Right. Like, wow. OK, that was a bad move, Marco. Yeah.
0: And what makes it worse is that there's she also has a pendant and yep. uh, and the uh the uh freed sex slave girl can tell that the pendant is calling out for its friends and they use that as a homing beacon which is also really interesting but yeah he, Marco's uh, ex-girlfriend we we see why he wasn't into her cuz she's hardcore
3: <laughs> She's she's kind of like Storm meets Lelu in a in a good way <laughs> M- multipass well, she's got
0: the outfit yeah multipass
3: yeah but they, but then you get the sense that she would be a non-player character that like that we would never see this this girlfriend.
0: Yeah, although I I gotta say the problem I have with a girlfriend is it it does seem like this is an awfully small world that mm. that she's also a player in all of this and ends up with yeah. with the will that that so she is she's connected right you know she is I just I just had that moment of like wow this is and maybe this is part of the story is the reason that Marco is as important as he is, is also because of the issue that he has with his fiance. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's why that, one of the reasons they initially were looking for him, but it just, that was a moment of like, wow, everybody, there aren't that many characters and yet they all seem to be very closely connected with each other.
2: Sometimes it's a small
0: universe. Yeah. It's only that planet and that moon and that whole other galaxy, but.
2: And all the funny little animal guys. Yeah. But don't Don't get attached to them. They don't, they they don't go so well.
0: It doesn't go well for
1: them.
3: Yeah. especially the, those mole guys, those mole guys on Sextillion get it pretty bad. Yeah, they are. It's one of my favorite pages. Guys.
1: I love that page. You know, it's just like the little seal guys on the Lighthouse Planet. Oh, the, the, the
0: seal, the seal guy on so, with his weird with like the walrus, hippo
1: walrus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm to go back here.
0: Where the author, the author lives of the of the world's most boring oh, book. Oh, the guy with the yellow uh,
2: like overalls.
3: Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a seal guy
0: and, and like a walrus donkey. Oh, he can, so I mean, the, the, the seal guy kind of looks like he's out of
1: a Miyazaki movie a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he totally does. does.
2: I'm glad. I'm I'm really glad he doesn't get cut in half in so far. <laughs> yeah, that's a I, you it's, know, it's a
1: good day when you can know, say that.
2: I got I got a little attached to those charming mole guys, and it you know that didn't
0: pay off for me. You know,
3: did you bring him bottles? Mister Heist likes it when ladies bring him bottles.
0: <laughs> Are you lady folk? <laughs> Anyway,
1: I enjoy I enjoy the author who is just, you know, oh, we talked yeah. about a little bit before was just the like he's a Cyclops. And I'm just, yeah, I just write. I'm just sitting here with my dreams like kind of looks like Ernest Hemingway with a so, Cyclops. So like Dan,
0: Samuel,
3: Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury as Ernest Hemingway.
0: A yeah. lot of people don't know that about Ernest Hemingway. Dan, <laughs> Dan, did you not uh, notice that the 12th issue of this is essentially constructed as an episode of Columbo? <laughs> I, because essentially, I, uh prince robot comes and interrogates he just, the author. he just stays
3: around and irritates him he irritates him until he gets the information yeah the,
0: the first half of the story we are we have this turn where this is supposed to be this great subversive work and we meet the author and the author when robot is supposed to be interrogating him the author's like sorry that book is just crap and you get to that last scene where robot is going to head out the door and be like all right well i gave it a shot this was a shot in the dark and then he goes actually one more thing uh, which he doesn't actually say, but he comes back around and basically, um, like, what does he do? Was, he zaps was, what, him. What
1: battle? Which battle did you say your son was killed? Right, I right. didn't
0: say. And then it all turns because it turns out his son didn't die in a battle. His son killed himself. And this is his motivation for writing this subversive work. And, it, you know, it kind of goes down from there. He pulls a gun and, and Prince Robot can turn his arm into a gun and he shoots him in the knee. And we end up with uh prince robot saying that he's gonna stay there and wait around for our friends to come uh but anyway that's that columbo trick right you give you let their guard down you talk to him for a while you think you're gonna get away with it and then he comes back in the room and he and he destroys you which is basically what happens here except then we get the last panel which is the end of the 12th issue and the end of the second trade which is the revelation that all of our other characters that we've been following for the first 11 issues have been upstairs in this house the entire time where, you know, how they got there and all of that still to be explained, but they've been, they've been listening to this entire conversation, the entire episode of Columbo that's been going on downstairs. That's pretty cool.
2: Pretty good cliffhanger too. Pretty
0: good. Yeah. Okay. And
2: saga has been doing this kind of interesting thing for folks who, you know, are sometimes hesitant about picking up comics where, you know, they put out six issues, then they collect it in a trade, and then they they proceed almost like with you know TV seasons yeah, little, or something. So it's blocks. where it's usually I don't I always wait for the trades to come out, and it's usually like I'm you know I'm way behind, and people are chatting about things that I can't read about yet. And so far, that's not as big a problem with Saga. What
0: so. else? Uh, you know, we're running out of time, but what else uh, should we talk about before we go? Do you guys have anything more you want to get off your chest before we wrap it up? There's a, we just list all the weird thing now.
2: <laughs> Ladies with no torsos, dudes who are only torsos.
3: <laughs> oh my god, Sextillion! Can you imagine? I I don't. I'm not super familiar with Fiona Staples outside of Saga, but it must have been so much fun to just go nuts with Sextillion, or like any of the times where I. You know, I'm always interested in, in reading how people write a script and hand it to somebody and collaborate. I'm very interested in that process. But my gosh, what a tremendous amount of creativity it must take to come up with some of that stuff. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I enjoyed reading. Um... I'm trying to remember what it I think it was at the end of when I had one of the single issues. I think it was issue 12, actually. And reading at the end, Brian K. Vaughn talks about how much, like, how important she is to the whole, like, she's not just the artist, right? Like, I bounce ideas off her and she comes up with sometimes with stuff that's, like, way better than what I came up with. And, like, you know, and I think that's, that's so important is it seems like they really have... It's nice to see a creative partnership where they're clearly not only just on the same wavelength, but it really is just this it's a partnership in the truth. It's not like, all right, I write the words, you draw the pictures. Like they seem to be working together to tell this story. And I think it's enhanced by that.
0: Yeah, I'm also amused in the letter column where um, in several letter columns he says, oh, here's what Fiona said when she got to the, when she read the script. And one of them is just, she gave a sad face. (laughs) It's like (laughs) reply colon parenthesis sad. Uh, because I think that was when we, when we see the stalk get killed, I think maybe, or maybe it was when the lion cat gets, I mean, there was a double whammy. There were like two straight issues of like, oh, Brian Cavon, What are you doing to me? Um, two straight issues, 12 straight issues. So yeah, the, the covers are great. The, the interior art is great We talked about the, the, the narration being handwritten. Um, you know, this is a weird book, but it's great. And it's great, kind of in all phases. I think
3: it's, but you know, I guess we're probably winding down. I mean, to to me, one of the reasons I feel like, alongside Hawkeye right now, um, one reason I can feel really good about recommending this to somebody, and I, I don't, I hate this to come out the way it sounds, but like, if if you if you on the one hand, like if you can't get into this, then maybe comics aren't your thing. Because there haven't been – no stories.
2: Maybe you're not into stories. Maybe you're just not into people. (laughs) Maybe you don't like love.
3: (laughs) Maybe you're literally dead inside. Maybe you're really into Mary Worth. (laughs) (laughs) Very rare Mary Worth. (laughs) Uh, uh, But with with both – like Hawkeye, you've got a big – you got a big, understandably, a big hurdle to go over because nobody likes Hawkeye, and you can't explain to people enough, like, no, really, like, just. Whoa! This is the guy that shoots people with bow and arrow. Oh, this is the guy from that Gulf War movie, the puffy guy. No, 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 no. This is it's a guy with a dog. Trust me, just try it. But you know, in that case, you've got some baggage. But in this case, I mean, if if you're even open to the idea of comics, uh, folks out there, listeners, uh, this is uh, this is worth this is worth picking up because. Uh, there's a very – it's so awkward to say human. That suddenly sounds incredibly self-involved. There's a very human story. There's a very personal story at the middle of this. And I'll return to what I said at the beginning because I'm obsessed on second or third reading of this with the proxies, with the fact that that so much of what's happening throughout this entire book – is a bunch of people who are who are being ground up in a system of proxies. Like you hire proxies to fight your war. You hire proxies to go find your, you know, soldiers who run away. You hire proxies to jack your mean bone. Like whatever you're going to do, there's somebody that you can hire with your black card to go out and do that for you. And the people who are standing athwart that system Are trying not to be ground up in those gears. There are people who used to be part of that system, and obviously they still are to some extent, but now they have like serious, serious skin in the game. They got this little baby. Neither one of these people is like any parent. They feel totally incapable of taking care of this thing that suddenly means everything to them. And and even as they like, you see the concentric circles moving out of people who then begin to care about that. Like, you know, in the case of the grandparents, or you even meet somebody like the Will who you realize, like, we don't know why the Will wanted to save that girl from the comet. But but he obviously went out of his way to do it, you know these little these little weird little human moments, and like if you're put off by comics and the whole idea of like you know uh, perverts in underwear with mutant powers, I just think this is a great place to start, um, graphic as it is, because it, it is there is at the heart of it something that's very human, which is that we get. We get very torn up by these big systems, you know, like the wire. We get torn up by big systems, but at the heart of it, we're we're you know, there's there's love in the middle of all of that, and it's hard to express that without sounding mawkish. And I think this does that extremely well.
1: I, I would put it up there with, I mean, and again, I'm not like super broadly well read in comics, but I've, re- I've read a decent number, and I, I I easily, even after twelve issues, feel like. This is going up there with say like Sandman, which for me is is one of the. This is the great examples of what this genre, what this medium can do. It's
2: worth checking out, even if you're not going to go out and fill a bookshelf with comics. Yeah, that's perfect.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great it's a great piece of art that stands on its own, regardless of whether or not it's a comic. Right, like that's it. It's it's just it's a, it is a, it's great a good piece story. Of
0: art. Unless you don't want to see robot TV people having sex.
2: You may not want to see that, but it's a cost of doing business. When you maybe you
0: should. What's yes, sense If you don't want to see that, what is wrong with you? Now what about Fard?
2: Could Fard get a cream? Is there anything he can do for that?
1: I think Fard might be in trouble with living on an egg.
0: Yeah, your
2: options are limited when you're egg adjacent.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. good. Is that the end for him? By the way, is he being fatalistic there? Where he says, "Well, I don't know. This isn't a plan? I wasn't
2: sure. And then the like the egg thing also had three eyes, and he had three yeah. eyes, and it's like, well, you know, I don't want to be like, well, all three eye guys, you you know, you know each other. But you there's, know. A, there's an ecosystem. There's some symbiotic
1: relationship here. I I look forward to the Fard spin-off series.
2: <laughs>
3: this lo- this looks bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this looks
3: bad. Yeah, Fard and Pizza Dog fight crime. Yeah. I, I hate animation. I mean, I hate enchantment. <laughs> I don't like the whole idea of like things being enchanted. Normally, I'm like, oh god, really? The stick is real, Ugh. You know, but in this case, the idea of the rocket ship where they walk in, and they go, it's got a foyer. There's a foyer. Like, why is that so delightful to me?
1: And like, well, it's like it's like buying a house, right? right? Like it's it's like okay, they're they're rocket ship rocket ship owners now, right? And they they, ne- right. they never thought they'd have enough money to put a down payment on a rocket ship. <laughs>
3: But I never even wanted to be a druid. It just seems so fruity. And, and and now with this, what am I going to? I'm going to worship a bush, you know? But but in this case, like, there's something that's very resonant about it. That that eh, whatever, stupid comic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to close up this edition of the Incomparable Comic Book Club uh, saga. <laughs> Check it out. You know, you just heard it. You just heard it. Everybody likes it. You should read it. Issue one, I believe, is free on Comicsology should go out and get it unless again you don't like what let's run them down unless you don't like comics you don't like stories you don't like love you don't like people and you don't like images of robots having sex. those those are your Blah. only excuses.
2: you should Blah. not be listening to podcasts. <laughs> maybe you can buy a nice collection of Dilbert
0: reprints. <laughs> all right so I would like to thank my excellent guests for their excellent work uh, discussing this wonderful piece of uh, piece of art. Dan Morin thank you as always for being here
1: a pleasure to be here for this rare comic book appearance.
0: yes it's nice you should read more comic books okay done all right tony cindelar you shouldn't read more comic books you read enough it was great to have you on again
2: it's always fun to be here i'll go make dan read some more stuff
0: i can't wait for batman to be in saga though that'll be great when that happens <laughs> i'm so excited <laughs> what does Batman's spaceship look like well bad bat ship it's
2: like a bat yeah i mean you know it's, he's, he's that way he doesn't really he doesn't really get
0: outside the box <laughs> he's consistent the, he's consistent even the box is bat shaped, yeah. <laughs> And Merlin, man, thank you for being on the Incomparable for a third time. Thank you, I appreciate it. This is a special thing. You guys are uh, you guys are gentlemen. Thank you. It's enjoyable to uh, to talk about something you're so enthusiastic about too. So it's great. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to the Incomparable. And we will see you next time.